Gervin. He spoke to us in June this year, and he said, I am more like you than I am different. And those words have stuck with me. What I'm going to share with you now uh, has come from his newsletter over the last couple of months since coming back. And it just shows the ups and downs of life in Malawi. Scott and Catherine and their two children, Amy and Rachel, they have returned safely to Malawi. And since returning, it sounds like life has been very full for them. They've had five groups of visitors from Australia, and they're much encouraged by the interest shown in what they're doing. Yet one of the missionary couples on furlough have decided not to return. And this, of course, will leave a gap in the work. The children have settled in well to their homeschooling. But the homework papers that were sent back to Australia for marking have been lost in the mail. Five-year-old Rachel contracted malaria, but she's responded well to the medication. Scott has been able to get out to the villages to minister to the Yao, but roads are dangerous and accidents are frequent. Last month, his Malawian driver hit an eight-year-old girl who ran out in front of the vehicle. She died, and now Scott is ministering to both his driver and the grieving family. He's seeing local believers pray for each other, and they're seeing evil spirits departing. Yet, he also ministers to a single mother who has three children very sick in hospital with malaria. The intense poverty is everywhere. Picture a hospital room filled with 60 ill children and their desperate mothers. Children with AIDS, malaria, and meningitis. A few of them have drips, but most don't. There isn't even any soap, let alone enough medical equipment to treat them all properly. Many of the patients are lying on the concrete floor with nothing but a cotton cloth underneath them. After all, there are only 20 beds. Two nurses are working in the ward caring for the 60 children. The sights, smells, and sounds are truly heartbreaking, especially when you personally know some of these patients. It's so hard not to become filled with a sense of hopelessness and despair. And Catherine writes that the poverty and suffering can easily weigh us down and make us depressed. This is Malawi. This is Africa. And this is what the Gervans face on a day-to-day -day basis. But we can walk with them in this if we'll uphold them in prayer. Picture what God can do to encourage and uplift this family and to change the lives around them. If we'll do our part and surround them uh, by taking to the throne of grace prayers for this family, these people, and this country. Thanks. Um, let's welcome Mark Holt. Hey. Hey, it's good to be here and especially be here tonight. I, uh, I used to be a youth pastor. I hear you've got a good one here. Yeah. Where is he? Phil, could you just stand up for a minute? I just, have you seen his haircut? Isn't that a ripper haircut? The, t the difference between Phil and I, thanks Phil. The difference between Phil and I is that if, if he waits a couple of weeks, his grows back. Mine doesn't. 
I was, I was in Indonesia at one stage and, uh, and it was late at night and we were, we were actually in that stage, we were living amongst a group of people called Dani people and uh, they're, they're reasonably um, animistic at that stage and, and pretty scared of the dark and, and spirits and that type of stuff. It was late at night and I was down in a little shed and I, was, uh, I had a little generator going so the lights was going pitch black outside and there was a few Dani uh, men sitting around outside they were telling stories and I was in the shed and I was actually burning a piece of wood with a, with a blowtorch um, and, and scraping it so I could make a coffee table for Val for her birthday. And I was, I was doing this and the blowtorch ran out. And so I thought, okay, well, it, needs, it was one of those old-fashioned ones that used petrol. So I, I thought, I'll just tip a little bit of petrol on this, on this blowtorch to get it going again. I didn't realise that the little container was glowing red hot and I had a cup full of petrol. So I poured the petrol and it hit this red spot and just ignited. Now, it didn't blow completely, but it just gave me such a fright that I threw the cup and it went in my hair. And it caught fire. <laughs> and so I had, I, had, I had hair. And it was just going like this. I mean, it honestly, was burning. I ran outside. Now, if you can imagine these Darnie blokes sitting outside, this mad white man screaming, running out with his hair on fire. They just took off. <laughs> I would love to be like Phil and have my hair grow back. But it's not going to be the case. So, Phil, blessings on you, friend. Never set your hair on fire. <laughs> it's good to be here tonight. I've really appreciated the whole day being with a group of people who I believe are doing something incredibly significant. You know, all around the world tonight, there are decisions being made in places of power that have what we think are enormous ramifications for the world. And we think probably what we do here tonight uh, is just something so tiny and so insignificant. But as I said this morning, don't believe it. There's things that are happening here tonight, the connections being made halfway around the world between the people of Wodonga and the people of Malawi that I believe in God's economy stand very, very tall. And so I'm really pleased to be here. I'm really pleased to be part of what's happening here tonight. And I want to talk a little bit about the dance. We, uh, we talked about the dance this morning in some respect and I want to just continue that tonight. But as we start, can we pray for each other? I want to pray for you by saying the Lord be with you. And if you could pray for me by responding and also with you. Let's pray for each other. The Lord be with you. Thank you. My daughter, my middle daughter Megan, is a movie buff. She loves movies. There's nothing she would rather do on a Saturday afternoon than get a whole pile of DVDs, sit there in the lounge room with some friends all by herself and watch DVDs. She just loves movies. Some of the movies that Meg's love, or Meg, Meg actually really gets into, are dance movies. Now, I'm not a big, uh, I, I'm not very good at dancing. But Meg loves dance and loves dance movies. All sorts of dance movies. Well, she goes from Strictly Ballroom, an old dance movie where, you remember Paul Mercurio comes sliding in on his knees at the end of the movie and Meg's heart goes like this, you know. She just loves that type of stuff. And then there's that, uh, that, that movie called Billy Elliot from, from the UK. 
and Billy Elliot just lives to dance. And he gets caught, of course, at one point in the movie in a little tutu by his dad, who is a real male, and wonders what's going on. And then Meg watches a, a, a film like Bring It On. I don't know if any of you have seen this movie. Bring It On is just this amazingly, oh, I won't say trashy, but it, it, it's one of those movies that just is about a group of cheerleaders who develop this dance routine and, and Meg sits there and just loves this stuff. The other day we all sat down together as a family and watched another dance movie because Meg was there and it was called, um, let me read it here, Take, Take the Lead, is that right? Take the Lead? It was with Antonio Banderas. And Antonio Banderas is there in the city in, in America and he's teaching young people from the, the, the downside of town how to ballroom dance. And of course, they're all involved in hip hop and it's this, com this wonderful combination of ballroom dancing and, and hip hop dancing. And it's just an amazing movie. And Meg just loves this stuff. I kind of, yeah, it's, it's all right to watch. If you know me, you would have to say I am dance challenged. <laughs> Enormously so. Val, when she was young, my wife, learned how to ballroom dance. Then she went out with me. She would never invite me onto the dance floor. I would not know what to do. I'd get up with my daughters on the dance floor at a wedding or something like that and try to do some of these great moves, you know, and my daughters very quickly disappear. I am dance challenged to the nth. But there's something about dance that does grab hold of me. You know, I've been privileged to be over in different parts of the world and in different parts of Australia and I've seen some amazing dances. I've been in the middle of Bandung on the island of Java and I saw a young girl who was about 13 years old who for 10 of those 13 years had been learning a, a dance called Bali, a Bali dance originating from the island of Bali where they move their eyes differently and their heads and, and she, just, she just blew me away with the dance moves that she had in our front lounge room as she danced for our family. And then I've been involved with a group of people called the Dani people who I was talking about before. They're warrior farmers and they celebrate by dancing. And I've seen them run into a yard as, as in all their splendour of paint and, and gourds and grass skirts and, 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 and dance that, that has some kind of primal rhythm to it. And it just blows you away. I stand, in, I stand in awe of some of the ways they can move. And then I've seen indigenous communities and the way they stomp the ground and the dust comes up and their rootedness to the very earth in which they're touching. And then, of course, I've seen over in the western suburbs of Melbourne a group of people called the Oromo who come from uh, that, that horn of Africa there. And I was privileged to go along to a cafe called the Dancing Dog and, and they had this, uh, this, uh, this talk from this guy about the Oromo culture and then all the men got up and did this dance in The Dancing Dog. Well, I felt the building rock. There was this kind of, the, the, they'd all rush into the centre and when they'd all meet in the centre, there was this kind of combined oof and it just reverberated around the building and there was something of the rhythm and the, and, and the dance that, that I just wished I had some dance moves in me. There's something about dancing that just thrills my soul and I love it. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that I'm sure you've heard many times, but maybe not like this. 
Let me begin. Once upon a time. No, let me think. Maybe before time. Before anything began. Beyond time. There was a dance. And there was only the dance. But the dance was enough because the dance in itself had enormous colour. It had music. It had movement. It was such a dance. And the dancers were so intimately connected. There was no one person in that dance who took the lead. Everyone had their own particular steps and yet they complemented each other. There was no solos. There was no standing out and saying, wow, look at that one. Doesn't he or she stand out? No. There was such complementarity in this dance. If one piece was missing, it would be just inconceivable to the dance. And yet each member had their own unique steps, their own particularity in this dance. This dancing trinity with music, with shape, with colour, with movement, all of a sudden that dance itself started to create and it created involvement in the dance. There was places within the dance that were created. There was other partners to share the dance with. And such wonder at this dance, a newness of the dance, and a new world of dance. There was belonging. There was complementarity. There was connection. You see, each dancer could not be completely themselves without some contribution of the other dancers. And each dancer knew that. But then all of a sudden, there was a break in the dance. And I can't explain to you the, the, the discord that this brought. If you've grown up in the era that I grew up in, it's like having a scratched LP record where the needle scrapes across and, and there's discord, there's a break, there's separation. All of a sudden people were dancing their own steps. All of a sudden the dance became fragmented. All of a sudden the dance became mean. All of a sudden the dance became violent. Each one went their own way. And the earth, the people the living creatures all started to be involved in dance steps that involved pushing the other away and saying, this cannot work. And you know the key dancer in all of this recognised that it didn't work because the key dancer in all of this all of a sudden see death and murder and rape and manipulation and abuse and poverty. And the key dancer says, what are we going to do? This is not the dance. This is not how it should be. Somewhere the dance was forgotten. Deep within the memory, it's planted there. Deep within the soul, it's planted there. Deep within even the physical body, it's planted there. But it's forgotten. And people dance their own steps. But all of a sudden, the dance master said maybe if the real dance becomes human. And so the dance put on human shoes. This amazing dance put on human shoes and took the name of Jesus. And he danced. 
and he danced and he involved people in the dance and he welcomed people into the dance. He talked the dance. He lived the dance. You're probably saying, come on, the dance. Well, Jesus talked about the kingdom. You know, I, I, I want to use tonight the term of the dance because the kingdom somehow has lost something for us. You know, when the Lord Jesus used the word kingdom, there was something electrifying about it. There was something like arcing electricity that people would feel and people would know and people would say, this is dangerous. Yet when we hear the word kingdom today, it's boring. It's lost its dynamic electricity. And what it does is create in us not only boredom, but sometimes even guilt. And so tonight I want to use the word dance instead of the word kingdom. Instead of wide-eyed wonder, the kingdom produces boredom. Maybe we need to say, let's get back to the dance. You know, back in church history, back even now well over a thousand years ago, their early church fathers used a picture of the Trinity and it was the dance. It was an amazing picture. The early church fathers used to say, this is what our God is like, this is what the kingdom is like. But the universe, creation, kind of belonging together, as I said before, we've lost this idea that Mark Holt can't be fully Mark Holt without some person from Wodonga Baptist Church. And Wodonga Baptist Church can't be fully who they're meant to be without a piece of Mark Holt. And we're so connected, and yet we've lost it. In our theology, even in our worship songs, it's all about I. It's all personal. And God never meant that to be. God talks about the dance belonging together, calling us back to when atoms and galaxies are involved, creeks and oceans are involved, daisies and towering gums are involved, families and nations are involved, sport and business is involved. Every facet has a role in the dance. So what's this dance like? What's this amazing dance like? Well, Jesus has some amazing things to say about it. And I want to use just some verses from Matthew chapter 13 tonight, verses 44 to 52, to talk about the dance. Now, Jesus says, Jesus uses the word kingdom. Now, I hope I'm not a heretic, but I want to change that word tonight to the dance and maybe it will give us a new insight. Maybe it will grab hold of our hearts again. Maybe it will twist us round inside again and say, wow, is this what God's about? Chapter 13 out of Matthew verse 44 says this, and let me read it to you, just changing one word. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven. Let me change it. The dance is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is what the dance is like. Does that give you a sense? This dance is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like finding that you back in the 1980s 
if you're alive back then, back in the 1980s, you invested in some shares that were worth $50. And all of a sudden, you recognise these shares today are worth millions. That's what this dance is like. It blows you away. The next verse goes on and says, Again, the dance is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is an amazing dance. This is is an amazing thing to be involved in, that that it's like a, a fine pearl that a merchant finds and sells everything he has to buy it. Let me put it in in, in up-to-date terms. It's like a bloke in Melbourne who owns the biggest jewellery store there is in Melbourne and he finally finds the perfect diamond and he sells his multi-million dollar business just so he can have that diamond. This is what the dance is like, people. Can you imagine that? Again... Jesus said, the dance is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down and put the good into baskets and threw out the bad. This is like the dance. It's like a family throwing a dinner party. You ever thrown a dinner party? It's like a family throwing a dinner party and inviting everyone they meet. Some of the people who come along wear really cool gear like Atticus or Quicksilver, while others have on head coverings and robes. Some wear Lynx and Jennifer Lopez, while others have no deodorant at all. Some are from the right side of town. Some make good friends. Some are from the wrong side of town. And some don't know how to make friends at all. They find actually social etiquette quite hard. It's like a family throwing a party and inviting everyone they meet. And we say, put that aside because we'll sort that out later. If we could only understand the radical nature of what Jesus was trying to say, the dance is like. This dance that we have been invited to. I sat with somebody this afternoon and we talked about what this dance is like and how it just thrills us all. And yet we struggle to be able to say, people look at it and say, ooh. And I feel that's what Jesus was saying. If only we could see, if only we could understand what he is calling us to the music that underlies all of our being. You know, these stories bring two things into my head and they rattle round and I've been thinking about them for quite a while and I just want to share those two things with you, two things that that I think the dance brings to my mind that that stand out and, and I just want to be able to apply in my own life. The first is this. The dance, and take my words, the dance is like a great magic that underlies everything. Has anybody here ever read um, C.S. Lewis' Sanania series? 
they're an amazing set of books. They're a, they're, they're a kind of fantasy where, where C.S. Lewis has created this world of Narnia. And, and he, he uses this as an allegory, as a metaphor for what happens and, and, and the life with God and the dance. But he covers this book and he says there is a magic set in place in this world of Narnia before time began. It's a deep magic. And the magic is not often seen, but it's waiting to break forth for anyone who has got eyes to see. You know, I believe that the dance is among us. The dance is here in this very hall this very night. The dance is here in Wodonga. The dance is in Australia. The dance is in Africa amongst the Yao people. The dance is in Indonesia. The dance is in India. The dance is there waiting to break forth if only we have eyes to see and wills to be involved in it. Let me tell you some stories about this great magic that underlies and if only we had eyes to see. I met a girl this last couple of weeks. I'll call her Kathy. Kathy is an amazing girl. She come and sat with me and we talked about what she's doing with her life. And she told me that she is celebrating with her Muslim friends Ramadan. I don't know if you know what Ramadan is. It's a month of fasting amongst Muslim people. She's a Christian and radical, on-fire Christian. And yet she's made friends with some Muslim girlfriends. And she's celebrating Ramadan, this month of fasting. So that means getting up at 3.30 in the morning for Kathy, travelling over to where her friends live and breaking fast with them, breakfast, having breakfast at 4 o'clock in the morning because that's the time that they can eat before they start their day of fasting. She goes over and she sits with her Muslim girlfriends and they eat together at four o'clock in the morning. And you know what else they do? They talk about Jesus. This is a dance. It's breaking out. It can be seen in unusual places. I know another girl called Jen. She's from a church down in Melbourne. She's just finished her Diploma of Education she has been offered from quite a few places quite good jobs. But Jen, you know what she's doing? She's saying for the next year or two of my life, I'm going to use this Diploma of Education. I'm going to go to Thailand. And I'm going to be involved in teaching people in Thailand what it means to be involved in the dance. Here's the dance. Breaking forth. If only we had eyes to see. Last year, as I told you this morning, I was in Banda Aceh. I met a boy, or a boy, a man called Amos, a young man. He was about 30 years old. He topped his year at university in Canada. Topped his year. Had pre prestigious firms come to him and ask him to come and be part of their firms. And yet, where did I bump into Amos? In the middle of Banda Aceh, working for an aid organisation sharing his passion for Jesus through living and working amongst people who've been devastated by the tsunami. The dance, breaking forth. Josh, I could go on and on with these stories. Josh is another, another young man I met just recently, married to a beautiful, a beautiful lady. Josh is one of the top advertisement designers in Australia. 
He actually worked for, um, uh, I think it was Max Factor or something uh, on, on, on one of their ads. And, and, and he said to me, Mark, I just couldn't cut it anymore. I was designing ads that were telling young women that if they had the right lipstick, they had made it. He said, I quit. They actually come back to me and they offered to double my pay and he was already on big money. They said, we will double your wage. And Josh said, no. And just last month, Josh and his wife did a holiday trip right around Thailand, visiting the different places where they can actually see the dance at work. The dance waiting to break forth if only we had eyes to see. I met another young man called Miles. I was with him up in Townsville a couple of weeks ago. He's doing a global discipleship course with, with Global Interaction. He's just finished year 12. His, uh, his family and, and others uh, are saying, Miles, you need to be in, into university. We, we want you to be doing some, some things like this. And, and he said, no, I, I really want to sort out what I want to do with my life. He went on this global discipleship course, gave up six months of his time to study, learn, and then spend eight weeks overseas to say, God, what do you want me to do? What part of the dance do you want me to be involved in? Let me tell you about my own personal experience of the dance that broke out to me one day. I was coming home from um, Banda Aceh and I, I stopped down in, in an airport in Medan on the island of Sumatra. And uh, typical uh, Indonesian airways, the, pl the plane was very late. I had to sit and wait for five hours at the airport for, for, for my connecting flight. I was sitting outside. It was the middle of the day. I was in an outdoor, outdoor coffee shop. And it was, uh, it was just one of those amazing times. It was, it was 40 degree heat, 100% humidity. There were people everywhere selling fruit, wanting to shine my shoes and, and, and riding, betcha, uh, riding um, rickshaws and, and, and public transport vehicles. The noise, the hum was in, intense. And I was sitting at this outdoor coffee shop drinking this beautiful Archinese coffee and around the table where I was sitting, there was myself from Australia, there was uh, two people from Kenya, there was a girl from the Congo, there was a woman from Russia, there was a guy from Spain, there was two people from Jakarta and I think there was another guy from uh, or somewhere else in Africa. We're sitting around this table and we're telling stories about who we were and about what we believed. And you know, I, I, I just had this experience. All of a sudden I thought, there is nowhere in the world I would rather be than right here. There's nothing in the world that I would rather be doing than be involved in this dance. If, if, if I've ever had a taste of heaven, that was it. And I just had this impression that God was saying, Mark, if you've only got eyes to see, you can be involved in the dance. You see, it can break out anyway. It's a great magic that underlies everything, if only we had eyes to see. The second thing that bangs around in my head is we're invited to join in. We have a chance to respond. I want to read you a story by a man called Fred Craddock. Fred's a preacher in the United States and he tells this most wonderful story. Let me read it to you. Fred was visiting a, in the home of one of his former students after graduation. And after a great dinner, the young parents excused themselves and hustled the kids off to bed. 
leaving Fred in the living room with the large family pet, a sleek greyhound. Earlier in the evening, Fred had watched the kids roll on the floor playing with the family dog. That's a full-blooded greyhound there, the father of kids had told Fred. He once raced professionally in another state. Then we got him. Great dog, great dog with the kids, that greyhound. And then we put the kids to bed. Well, sitting there with the dog, the dog turned to Fred and said to Fred, this your first visit here? Fred said, oh, no, actually, I've, uh, I went to school up here a long time ago. Oh, well, I guess you heard, said the uh, greyhound, I came from interstate. Oh, yeah, said Fred. I hear you retired. Hmm, said the greyhound. Is that what you heard? Is that what they told you? No, I didn't retire. I'll tell you what happened. I spent 10 years as a professional racing greyhound. That means 10 years of running around that track day after day, seven days a week, with a whole lot of other greyhounds chasing a rabbit. Well, one day, I raced particularly well and I got up close. And you know what I realised? I got a good look at that rabbit and it was a fake. I spent my whole life chasing a fake rabbit. Trust me, I didn't retire. I quit. <laughs> it's a great story. But people, it has enormous implications for us. We have a choice to be drawn into the dance. The alternative is that we keep chasing the fake rabbit. Jesus says some amazing words that we usually interpret in one way. There's those famous verses from Matthew. It said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me just add in a little bit. I'm going to read it out of the message and add in a little bit. Changes it a bit. Are you tired? Are you worn out chasing a fake rabbit? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Come and dance and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Dance with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to dance freely and lightly. <laughs> There's a woman called Lucy Shaw. I just want to read you something that she's, uh, she's written. As Jesus' contemporary followers, we are offered two alternatives. To continually, merely to continue merely existing in the dull, assumed safety of what we think we know, a stagnant pond of sameness, remaining blindly complacent about our unfruitful, conventional little lives, or to dive into the unknown and the unexpected, trusting God to carry us along in that dance of life within, into the freshness of new realms, and larger horizons. 
This is the dance. Hey, you got your eyes open for the dance? Here in Wodonga? You know, this dance involves connection. This dance involves, as I said this morning, the welcoming in of others. It's a choice for them as well, whether they come or whether they don't, but we have no option but to be welcoming. And here we are tonight saying, let's offer that opportunity to the air. But there might be some of you who have had something touched in your life over the past few weeks by what Marg and the team have said, by what Jonathan has said, or by what I've said this morning or, or tonight, and you want to do some exploring, then people, please don't miss the, miss the opportunity. Global Interaction have a, a thing called GI6 Pro. It's for people just to explore. It's not saying give up your whole life. It's saying, why don't you check out for one or even two years to say, God, I want to check out some dance moves. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love you to look at the website and, and check it out. The dance is calling. Now, that's not to say the dance is only overseas. It's everywhere. But it's my job to give you a global perspective. And I want to be able to say... We've got a choice, people. You want to keep chasing a fake rabbit or you want to be involved in something that'll grab your life and turn it upside down and you'll wish, you'll wish you had seen it so much sooner. Would you dance with me? Would you pray with me? Dancing God, attune our ears to the real music. We long to get swept up in those unforced rhythms of your dance. Do not leave us alone. Do not give us any peace. Let that magic that underlies the very essence of creation come and sweep us away. Call us to yourself because we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We're going to do something now that uh, we've done this morning, but we're going to do it tonight for those who weren't here in this morning's services. We're going to actually have a time where we go through a commitment of adoption. Now, adoption might sound a bit paternalistic, and maybe we should change the word adoption because it has these undertones of we're kind of the parents and they're the kids. And that's not what we mean. Africa has been abused and mutilated and manipulated and raped continuously for years and years and years by white people. What we're on about here tonight is nothing to do with that. What we mean by adoption is care. What we mean by adoption is love. What we mean by adoption is, say, come as equal partners in the dance. Now, we're going to do that in a, in a certain way. I'm going to read a, a statement. Jonathan's going to follow up by, by making a statement on behalf of you as you stand together. And then Jonathan and I are going to sign, a, 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 like a covenant it is, like we did this morning. And Marg and the team are going to hand around clipboards for you to be involved in that signing as well. So let's do this together. This evening we are doing something special.
in this service, this group of people, the Wodonga Baptist Church, commits itself to an ongoing focus on one of the world's nearly 2,000 unreached people groups. In the past, the focus of the local church in mission has generally been either on the missionary, the people who are on the mission, or a project, the mission task. People group adoption places the emphasis on the people themselves, the recipients of mission, and the focus of God's love. It's a bit like the adoption of a child. The church that adopts a people promises itself to long-term prayer and strategic involvement until a self-sustaining church has been planted using the language of the people and worshipping in a way consistent with their culture. We are entering into an exciting new era of mission together as Australian Baptist people. People groups are unreached because they are difficult to get to. Australian Baptists, including Wodonga, are called to join together so that 2.5 million Yao can hear and respond to the dance. Thanks, Mark. Um, for us as a church, about a year ago, the Mission Watch team came to the diaconate, the deacons of the church, and requested that we as a church consider the suggestion of adopting a people group and uh, the diaconate sensed together this was God's leading and, and God's timing for our church. Um, since that time, we as a church have begin, begun to grow in our knowledge of who the Yao people are. Uh, we've uh, started to grow in our love, understanding more and more of who they are and our heart has been opened up more and more. Uh, we had Scott Gervin come and speak with us and he gave us a uh, first-hand experience of what it's like ministering amongst the Yao people in Malawi. Uh, also, we made it the focus of our main mission um, appeal and you open your hearts generously to the people then. Uh, at this time, we understand together as a church, Mark, that the Yao people are largely Muslim people and we're aware that though they're open to the gospel, there are uh, you know, cultural factors that make the Yao people resistant to change. And uh, we enter into this, however, really knowing that through prayer and through our support and through our uh, you know, strategically wanting to uh, help find ways to demonstrate our love to these people. And through partnering with GIA and uh, with the people that are already there and through the leading of our Mission Watch team as well. We really believe that with God's help we can make a difference. Um, therefore, we, we like to now um, commit to this people group adoption. And if you'd like to, we'd like to invite you all to stand at this time. And just stand where you are would be great. And we'd like to say, um, I'd like to say on behalf of the church, Mark, that um, the Wodonga District Baptist Church, uh, we promise, we promise to learn as much as we can about the Yao people. And we promise as a church to pray regularly and in an informed way for them. And we promise to do everything possible to enable these people 
and to experience the fullness of life in Jesus. Um, Mark, as director of GIA, it's um, now with, I think, hope and excitement that, uh, and with a real conviction of God's leading that we as a church uh, formally commit to adopt the Yale people of Malawi for the next five years. It's our promise and pledge. What we're going to do, I'm going to ask you to be seated and we're all going to be involved in the signing of this covenant. It's like a bit like a, a, a wedding in a way where, the, where the, the people involved in the covenant actually sign a marriage certificate. Now,